If you want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to go back to the book of Jonah, chapter 1. I don't know if we'll be there a couple, three weeks, a couple, three months. I don't know that it really matters. This is just, um, this is where I believe the Lord would have us on Wednesday. Lord willing, Sunday morning, I think we're going to start a semi, I, I don't know, again, I I don't claim to know the mind of God. I just try to know what he wants right now. But based on what I know about Sunday, I, I, don't, I don't know that this is a, one, a one-off message as we begin to take a look into the book of Nehemiah. These are very challenging, very encouraging, very strengthening books in the Word of God. They're, they're completely different. Um, in the way that God uses, I guess you'd say, the main subjects of the book. But we started Sunday morning <coughs> um, here in John with the inescapable call of God. You can try to escape, but for all of us has ever been called of God to do anything, you're not going to get away. You're not going to sleep it off. You're not going to run it off. You're not going to pry it off. When God's got something in mind, you save yourself a whole lot of agony to just go ahead and start heading in the right direction. Because that ship going in the wrong direction is going to get in a storm. It's going to get into some bad stuff. It's going to affect a whole lot of people. You're going to wind up where there's a whale's belly somewhere. You're going to wind up back where God said go. It's a whole lot easier to just be more obedient on the front end of it. You know, the, the book of Jonah, I didn't share. And I'm not going to share a lot of the statistical things that we had to do from Bible college and those things. But some of them that are important, like just little simple things. The book of Jonah averages more miracles than any other book in the Bible. I mean, you only got four chapters. You only got 48 verses. You got 1,321 words, but you got nine miracles. You have at least nine miracles. That, that means you, you have a miracle every 5.3 verses. That's a pretty impactful chapter. You, you, you have miracles every 147 words. You have the great wind as a miracle. You have the storm that we see there. Even the great calm is a miracle because the storm didn't just stop. The calm didn't just come. The calm was appointed. It was a miracle of God to, to stop the storm, just like he can do in our lives. The, the calm doesn't just come. God brings the calm just like he can allow the storms to come in. You got the great fish. The survival in the fish is a miracle within itself. But then the fact that the fish carried Jonah to the place he's supposed to have been, all, all of those are miracles. The east wind, the gourd, the vine, the worm, all of those things are miracles. All those things... That God used, but, but still to me, the greatest miracle is always like the one that's living in me. The, the greatest miracle in the story is the salvation of people. It's the fact that God takes time to go out of his way, if you will, to do things to reach lost people. So, so to me, probably the greatest miracle is the number of souls that, that are saved or the people that turn back to God in the book. The purpose of the book is said to be to show the extent of God's mercy to all people. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. The, the, the book of Jonah, the entire book, is proof of that verse. The entire story is a story of salvation and redemption. The entire book 
It's about God trying to reach people. The book of Jonah is very different from all the other prophetical books. Prophetical books and, and all the things that prophets them. And prophets are typically sent to deliver God's word to God's people. But here in the book of Jonah, you have God's prophet and he's delivered God's word to, to carry God's warning to people about repentance that, that are God's people's worst enemy. They, they're the ones that are in, in the business of destroying God's people. So what you have is a prophet that's being sent to give warning to the Gentiles. But Jonah, Jonah says, nope, nope, not going to do it. Not going up there, got my own plans, got my own way. I'm going in another direction. And that leads to probably one of the weirdest stories in all the Bible. The one where we talk about that, that fish again, Steve, the submarine I mentioned on Sunday, the underwater taxi, the world's first human transport underwater submarine that, that God put things into motion. So, so Jonah is, of course, the entire Word of God is a place for us to turn to shape and mold and to make our lives. But Jonah is a great place for us to evaluate our own lives. The Word of God tells us to love people, period. The Word of God tells us to love people, period. It offers no exclusions. It offers no exceptions. It, it, it doesn't say all people except for the Ninevites of my life. All people except for the Assyrians of our day. The Word of God says that we are to love People, Jonah has to be one of, one of the greatest stories. I mean, we, we saw what we saw Sunday morning. We looked at the fact that, that what Jonah was rejoicing over. When God said, yet 40 days, I'm going to destroy Nineveh if they don't repent. Jonah was rejoicing over what God wept over. God didn't want to destroy nearly a million people. God didn't want to destroy another land off the earth. He, God still remembers the flood and destroying people. God's not in the destroying people business. God is in the saving people business. God is in the loving people business. God is in the restoring people business. And God's people are supposed to be in the same business. So, so Jonah, he, 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 he doesn't want to deliver because he knows what, what God's going to do. It has to be. This, the whole book of Jonah has to be one of the greatest stories of the mercy of God. Everything in this whole story is about God's mercy, especially the part about Jonah. One of his very own prophets put there to deliver his word, looks him in the face and says, no. I'm not going to do, Father, what you want me to do. I'm not going to do what you've given me the strength and the commission to do. And, and yet we see God carefully redirected his misdirection. It took something as simple as a fish. Some waves to get him thrown in. So we see the mercy of God. See, God's purpose is to use man to evangelize man. God's purpose is to use you to reach your neighbor. To use you to reach Tim's construction worker. God's plan is to use man to evangelize man. You, you notice that when Jonah failed, when man failed, God didn't change his method. He did not use the storm to accomplish what he told Jonah to do. He used the storm to get Jonah to do what Jonah was told to do. God, God didn't change his plan. He, he used the thing to, to get his, his servant to do what he was told to do in the first place. Sunday morning, I, I made a reference to Jonah being a hero of the Jews. He had prophesied some things. He had prophesied 
of the expansion of the borders and, and good things to come. And I didn't read it. I, I referred to it in 2 Kings chapter 14, but I thought this evening I would read what I was talking about. It says in, in verse 23, the 15th year of, of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, reigned 40 and one years. He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Those of us that are reading the Bible through in a year, do you not get sick of reading that? I'm like, really? I mean, one after another. And finally you get one that tears down all the altars and gets rid of all the stuff. And he follows God for 16, 18 years and he dies. And then one comes along and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And he did evil in the sight. I'm like, why does God even put up with us? Why, why does God love man when we continually fail? He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He departed not from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who, who, had, who made Israel to sin. He restored the coast of Israel. But here you see prophecy fulfilled from the area of Hamath unto the sea of the plain, according to the word of the Lord, according to the word God of Israel, which he spake by the hand of his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, which was of geth Hepher. And it says, for the Lord saw the affliction of Israel. It was very bitter, for there was not any shut up, nor any left, nor any help for Israel. And the Lord said not that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, but he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. So in spite of the fact that Jeroboam does evil, evil in the sight of the Lord, God has shown them prosperity. God has given them back the borders of their land. God has fulfilled the things that he used Jonah to prophesy. So Jonah's a hero. They love Jonah because he, he put it in. And, and, and here in this story, God is going to show mercy to the Assyrians. See, Jonah didn't mind God blessing the Hebrews even in their sin. They're, they're not following God. They're following idolatry. They're doing the things that are against God. Jonah doesn't mind God blessing them even in their sins. But he doesn't want others to receive the same kind of mercy he got. He doesn't want others to receive the same kind of mercy that God's children has received. He wanted a pardon for the sins of Israel, but he wanted justice against, against the others who had brought sins toward Israel. Notice verse number two there of chapter one. God tells Jonah, arise, get up. He says, go to Nineveh, and God calls it that great city. God has an interest in great cities because God has an interest in great revival. God has an interest in doing great things. Now, we just, we just finished the book of Acts. And remember all that, that God did to get the apostle Paul to Rome? Everything was to evangelize Rome. But before he evangelized Rome, he evangelized Jerusalem, that great city. Remember when we first met Saul, he was on the road to Damascus. A great city. He was headed there to persecute Christians. But God, just like with Jonah, God redirected his path. And he sent him there to make Christians, to do something mighty. God, so, so God reached Damascus. We, we see him reach Athens. Remember when, when he sent him there to Athens and he explained to the men there at Mars Hill and in Tyra. And, and we, we see God throughout his word trying to reach out to wicked cities, even those like, like Babylon. Nineveh in this day is estimated to have had about a million people living in the city of Nineveh. Remember, it was the capital of the, of the Assyrian Empire, northernmost city up there, north of Jerusalem. It says that they had a million people living in this city. God said, 
go warn them lest I bring judgment upon them. Jonah said, let them all die. They deserve it. Jonah cast his judgment on a million people. Albert Barnes says in his commentary, you like it, don't you, Brother Greg? You glad I shared you on that? You know Albert Barnes, right? He's in the sword searcher. Yeah, so Albert Barnes says, how much greater the mercy of God than even that of a holy man? How far better to flee to the judgment seat of God than to the tribunal of man? Had Jonah been judge in the case of the Ninevites, he would have passed them all the sentence of death for their past guilt. We, we see God not desiring to bring judgment, but mercy just like he did us. God brought mercy to anybody in here. God was looking to extend the same thing to them. Listen, for everybody as a parent, we understand that. How many times did you go out of the way to keep them tearing up your young'un's backside? All you wanted them was to obey. All you wanted was for them to listen. All you wanted was for them to do right, be right, act right, learn some things. And you gave opportunity after opportunity because you're not looking forward to blistering their backside. But if they won't stick with it, guess what's coming? Now, I never told that lie. It's going to hurt me as bad as it did you because I knew from a, from a child's perspective that wasn't true. But it did hurt just as bad. But, but it hurts the heart and not the backside. God, God's no different with us. God, God's no different with, with these great cities. God loves them and God just wants people to do right. God just, he does everything to try to reach us. But Jonah said, let them die. All million of them makes no difference. Let them die. Do y'all mind cheating? Y'all mind if we cheat for a minute? Like go over to chapter four and look at the end of this book for a minute. Y'all mind if we, if we peek? Turn, turn if you want to, if you're there in Jonah chapter one, turn, turn over into chapter four. <laughs> there you get in, in the last chapter and, you know, God has caused the, the gourd, the, the vine to come up and create the, the shade for Jonah. And then the worm gets there and the gourd dies. And so Jonah, he's all ticked off because the gourd died. Now he's mad about this vine. He's mad because the gourd died. The thing that was giving him shade. And he's all ticked off because of this one vine. But in the very last verse, look at Jonah chapter 4. Look at verse number 11. Should I not spare Nineveh, that great city? There it is again. In spite of their wickedness, in spite of their hate, in spite of their bitterness, in spite of all that they're doing, God calls it a great city. And he said, wherein there are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left and also much cattle. You know what that says? God says there are 120,000 children living in that city. There are 120,000 babies, young people, they've not reached an age of accountability. They don't know their right hand from the left. They haven't made any decisions. They haven't chosen to be where they are. Should I not spare them? Should, should I not spare the entire city for the sake of 120,000 children? What about the cattle, the sheep, the oxen, the camels? What, what about them? What, what have they done wrong? Should, should I not spare the cattle of the land? Should, should I just openly bring judgment on everybody? You know, <laughs> I was doing some statistics and looking at our world today. World population says that there's more than 8 billion people in the world today. So I looked up some stuff on some babies. 
It says there's 140 million babies born every day. That's over four babies per second. We spitting them out. The, the, the world is growing in some numbers. Over half of those births are in Asia. I'll get to that in a minute. That's over 350,000 babies a day. Statistics tell us two-thirds of them will never have enough to eat. Kind of hard for us to sit right here in LaGrange, Georgia and figure that out, isn't it? Kind of hard for us to comprehend that 350,000 babies a day, two-thirds of them won't have enough to eat. That's over 200,000, let's see, 350. That's roughly 230,000 babies that, that will never have enough to eat. Not just as a baby, but in their life. Statistics tell us that one-third of them are going to grow up under communist rule and be indoctrinated with atheism. That's what they're going to be taught. That's what's going to be shoved down their throat. Three-fifths of them, this blows my mind. Three-fifths of them will never learn to read. Really? Like in today's world, somebody don't know how to read? Yeah. Yeah, I was surprised. I had to do some studying and statistics seem pretty consistent about that. But here's the heartbreaker. Two-thirds of them, that's 67%, will never hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. 67% of 350,000 babies born a day are, are never going to hear the Bible. See, it's easy for us to sit here in, in our overblessed lives and, and not realize how much mercy we've been given. It's easy for us to sit here in, in our air-conditioned buildings and our comfortable clothes and our padded pews with our nice cars in the parking lot and air conditioners on at home and, and the luxuries and pantries full of food and not understand that everybody don't have that. It's easy for us to sit here in the Bible Belt where we drove, every one of us drove past somewhere between 6 and 15 churches to get to this one and understand that people will never hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That there's not a church. There's not anything around them. And that they're never going to get that. See, Jonah said, they are mean. They don't serve God like I do. Let them die. God said, go tell them. Jesus said, tell the world. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe whatsoever things I command you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Jesus said, tell everybody. Jesus said that it's our job to tell the world. So here in the first two verses of Jonah. Is it okay if I say I feel like I see the problem? It's okay if I'm wrong. I mean, everybody has a right to be wrong, right? I mean, just give it your best shot. I mean, wrong is always an option. But, but I, 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 feel, I feel like I see the problem, or at least part of the problem. God says to Jonah, arise and go warn Nineveh. Now, now Jonah doesn't waste any time. I mean, he gets right up. He don't, he don't stagger around. His back ain't sore. And he gets right up immediately. <laughs> but he goes the other way. Here's what I think the problem is. Jonah already had his mind made up. Jonah already knew who he liked and who he didn't like and what he was going to do and what he wasn't going to do. See, I think, I think Jonah, see, he, he don't take any time to pray about it like Nehemiah did. He, he don't take any time to have a conversation about it like Moses did when God called Moses. 
He, he doesn't take any time to, to, to plead with God and reason with God like Abraham did. He just got up and went straight the other way. See, I, I believe his mind is already made up. Just like ours usually is. We know when God says, I want you to go over there and talk to that person standing right over there. Just, just walk up and say, hey, just, just start a conversation, walk over there. God, I don't have time for that. I'm in a hurry. My, my mind's made up. Anybody ever notice at the time when God gives you something to do with always, of course, don't help that I'm always in a hurry, but that's the side point. You ever notice somebody when you're really in a hurry, you really got to get something done, you really got to get finished, that's the time when God says, I need you to stop and talk to somebody? But your mind's already made up. I, I, I need you to go over there and, and, and offer that person some help. God, I don't, I don't have time to help them right now. See, our mind's already made up. I, I need you to stop. And change a flat tire for that, for that person, for those people. And while you're there, ask them, do they know Jesus? But I'm on my way to church. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Well, if I stop and change that tire, I'm going to be late for church. Besides, I got my good clothes on. I don't mess up my clothes. Uh, uh, anybody know what I'm talking about? See, see, we already have our mind made up. Pulling up the stop sign. You see them, you see the family down here today? And God says, pull your window, roll your window down, and give them some money. God, you know how many people are standing on the street corners doing that today for a job? I don't know how many people really need help and how many of them are just too lazy to work. Did I just get fired from being pastor for saying that out loud? Is that not reality? For a lot of them, that's a profession these days. They make good money standing on those street corners. I know that from experience in Atlanta because I had a cop tell me the story about them. So some of them do. So regardless of what God says, I already got my mind made up. Can I tell you something? It don't matter if he's a crook, he's a thief, he's a drunk. He's going to use the money you give him and go buy drugs and do everything wrong. If God says give him money, it ain't your business what he does with it. It ain't got nothing to do with the money. It ain't got nothing to do with him. Or them. It's got everything to do with us. But our mind's already made up. I don't do that anymore. I'm not giving money to them. I'm tired. I'm tired of dishing that out. I'm tired of every time you get out of the gas station, somebody comes up wanting to borrow money. Won't, won't know, can you just give them a few bucks? They just need a little gas. I'm, our mind's already made up. See, it, it didn't take Jonah long to get up and go the wrong way. I think his mind's already made up. And I think we see in one of God's prophets the same thing that we see in us. A lot of times we, we've already decided what we're going to help and what we're not going to help. What we're going to do and what we're not going to do. Where's the room for the call on, on our life? Where's the room for God's direction in my mind is already made up? Where is the obedience, the surrender to the Holy Spirit, if my mind's already made up? Have I made my point that we kind of understand where we are? So, so Jonah heads the wrong way. And here's another problem. He is so comfortable in his decision to run from God. That in less than three verses, he's walked to Joppa, paid the fare, boarded the ship, and is sound asleep. But I got one right here. You ready for this one? Anybody listening? What we see is Jonah's faith. 
Wait, what? What? What what is Jonah's faith? Well, what if God called you right now to go to China? Red China, you know, the communist country, the place where the church is an underground secret. The place where if you're caught with the Bible, you're dead. The place where if you're caught worshiping in church, you're at the very least going to jail. The place where our missionaries, we can't even send them emails or communicate with them there because it, it would bring threats on their lives. What if God called us right now? See, that, that's Asia. That's the place that I talked about a minute ago. 25 million births every year, 16 million of them in China alone. 16 million who do not know their right hand from the left. 16 million of who the greatest majority will never hear the gospel of Jesus Christ unless somebody goes. What if God told you to go? Is your mind already made up? What, what, what if God impressed on your heart that I want you to go to China. See, our, our reasons are going to be a little different. <laughs> our reasons are probably going to be things like, God, I got family here. Well, I got, I got a new grandbaby. He's barely over a year old. I don't want him to grow up and never see him. God, I, 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 we got a job. <clears throat> God, I can't leave my church. You know, we can get all holy right then. God, it's my church. I can't leave my church. It don't matter if I'm here on Sunday, but I can't leave my church. We, <laughs> we got... We got all kind of excuses why, why we can't go. It would probably be a fair enough excuse. Things like fear. God, do you know what they do to Christians over there? You know I can't take my family over there. I mean, do you know what kind of danger that, that would put my family in? See, Jonah, Jonah didn't avoid Nineveh because of fear. The Assyrians are some of the cruelest people in the history of mankind, and they absolutely hate the Jews. They have no respect for human life. It's like they enjoy torturing people, and they hate the Jews. But Jonah didn't say, God, do you know what they do to people like me? Do you know what would happen to me if I went over there? See, it wasn't fear of man that kept Jonah from going. It was faith in God. Because Jonah said, I knew if I went and they repented, you would forgive them. It wasn't fear that kept him from going. It was faith. He understood the fullness of God's faithfulness. He understood that, that God is a merciful God, slow to anger and quick to forgive. So, so we can't be too hard on Jonah. Just because he ran, because he's probably got a lot better excuse for running than what mine would have sounded like. He, he's probably got a, a, a lot better idea. See, he, he didn't run because he did not believe that God could protect him from them. He ran because he did believe that God would forgive even them. A little bit different than my perspective on things. Anybody agree? Over 8 billion people in the world. 67% will never hear the gospel. And the church has gone down into the sides of the ship and is fast asleep. That's where Jonah was. The captain comes and hears the question. What meanest thou, O sleeper? Brother Terry Barnes in the Bible college class been... I guess that was eight, nine years ago, ten years ago, whatever. But he, he taught on this course, and, and he titled it Sleeping 
in dangerous times. He said, while the Supreme Court banned prayer in public schools, we slept. While things like Roe versus Wade was handed down, we slept. While Christmas carols that used God's name were prohibited in public schools, we slept. While the Ten Commandments were stripped from government buildings, we slept. John Phillips in his commentary says, What a text for the sleeping church. Today's world torn apart by drugs, alcohol, immorality, apostasy, and the church sleeps. False religions and wicked philosophies on the rise, and the church sleeps. Abortion, pornography, syndicated crimes, sodomy, diseases, and the church sleeps. Friends, family, neighbors, and workmates grope in spiritual darkness. The church sleeps. Two-thirds of the world's population oblivious to the gospel. And the church sleeps. What a crime. Then he says, if a soldier is found sleeping while on duty in a time of war, he will be imprisoned, court-martialed, and in many countries sentenced to death. Because his sleep put the lives of others in danger. What a time for the church to be asleep, putting so many lives in danger because of it. But we ain't thought about it quite like that, have we? Our sleeping and our mind already made up and our not witnessing and us being no different than Jonah and being disobedient to, to the command of God to go witness to somebody. That's just a sleeping church. And every time we don't, what we're doing is we're, God told Ezekiel, if you warn them, then, then their blood's on their own hand. But if you don't, the blood's on whose hand? Ours. The sleeping church, the captain, he comes to Jonah. He, he's irate. What are, you, what are you doing here? You sleeper, get, get up and, and, and cry. Get up and pray. Imagine this is a Gentile pagan ship captain having to command God's prophet to pray. Get up and, and, and pray. And for the first time, Jonah sees the results of his refusal. He can clearly hear the voice of God in the winds of the storm. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us how God spoke to Jonah. Anybody wonder that? The voice of the Lord came. Anybody wonder? I mean, it's not like it was thunder. I mean, how, how did he speak? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell me how God spoke to Jonah the first time, but I know for a fact how he spoke to him the next time. The, the winds are howling out God's voice. He understands exactly what this is all about. And now he realizes that, that his disobedience has brought trouble to all these other innocent people. It is his running that has put their lives in jeopardy. But, but I mean, how, how can he call on God now, right? I mean, knowing all that he's done, knowing the level of disobedience, and, and knowing how swiftly he did it, he's possibly, he's possibly the only one on the ship who knows the one true God, and he feels like he's not on speaking terms with God right now. You notice he doesn't pray. He talks to the mariners. He talks about what I did and what happened. It doesn't say anything about him praying until we get into the fish's belly. He's not praying on this ship. So, so you got the only one that knows God that can maybe talk to God, and he's not talking to God. He tells him, just throw me in the sea and everything will be okay. When all he had to do was say, turn the ship around. Just turn the ship around. You want to be okay? You want everything to be okay? Just turn this ship around. Get me pointed back towards where God told me to go. That's true so many times in our own lives. You want hell on earth to stop, just turn around. 
A lot of times things we feel like Job, we don't feel like we've done anything wrong, we don't understand. But most of the time in our life, we know exactly what this is about. We know exactly what's going on in our life. We know exactly what we're doing. We know exactly that we're not reading the book, that we're not praying, that we're not going to church. We know exactly what we are doing wrong. We know. And if you want hell on earth to stop, just turn around. Jonah knows exactly what this is about. And all he's got to do is turn around. He says, mm -mm, mm -mm. I'll do it my way. Just, just throw me in. I, I, I wonder, did Jonah forget that the same God that he believed was merciful enough to forgive the Assyrians, did he forget that it was merciful enough to forgive him? Did he forget that the God who could forgive the, the Assyrians, the Ninevites, of all their murders and cruelty and brutality, did he forget that the grace of God and the mercy of God that was sufficient for them was sufficient for him? See, that's where the devil keeps us living. We, we tell people all the time, it's okay. It's okay. God's grace is sufficient. God's mercy is enough. Just, hey, just, just walk into the throne room and obtain mercy. That's all you got to do. Just enter the throne room of grace that you might obtain mercy. Confess it to God. Put it there. Leave it there. Repent from it. Turn back and just forget it. And, and, and we tell people that. We tell them, don't, don't let the devil hold you back. And then we go home and wonder if God can even afford to let me into heaven over the things I've done. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You try so hard to help somebody else understand that the grace of God is bigger than their sin. The mercy of God is bigger than their faithlessness. And then go home and wonder if God is really big enough to forgive you for the things you've done. I don't know. That's what I see in Jonah. Why can it be so hard for Jonah to imagine that God can forgive him even where he's at on the ship? Why can't it be so hard for Jonah to figure out all I got to do is turn around and God's grace is enough. But I would rather die. I'd rather die and meet God at judgment and take my chances than go back and tell them. I don't know. I got a couple more minutes and we'll, we'll, we'll stop for tonight. But I, I, I don't know if Jonah's testimony can ever be rebuilt in the eyes of these mariners. Some of us have that in our lives. There, there's some things that we've done to some people. There's, there's some things we've done. There's some things people have seen. Our lives, will, our testimony will never be rebuilt to them. Whatever it is. That, that's just reality of people. I, I don't know if Jonah's testimony can, can ever be rebuilt. But here's the conversation in modern day English. Who are you? I'm a preacher of the gospel. Where'd you come from? I came from the presence of the Lord, and I'm running from him. What country are you from? <laughs> I came from the promised land. <laughs> what people do you belong to? I'm a member of the people of God. See, I, I don't know if, if that testimony can, can ever be rebuilt, but here's what I do know. It doesn't mean that God can't reach them anyway. See, God reached them through the situation. Now, that, that doesn't mean that, that God's through with Jonah. 
the mariners aren't Jonah's commission. Nineveh is. God saved the mariners anyway. God did something special for the mariners in spite of Jonah. God, God did something there. But the mariners getting saved, that's not on Jonah's plate. He had nothing to do with that. That's all God's business. He used one of his own's mistake to pull that off, to let him see. But, but God hadn't forgotten Jonah's business. God hadn't forgotten what, what Jonah's supposed to be doing. So if Jonah would have just turned around, not only would the storm have ceased, not only would the mariners have probably still been saved because they would have seen the power of God and the trust and the faithfulness of God, and they would have probably still repented and been saved. Now their credit would have gone on Jonah's plate because you know that's how God does things, right? God uses you to accomplish his will so that somebody gets saved and he rewards us for what he did. That's the faithfulness of God. So if Jonah says turn the ship around, then, then the, the mariners still get saved. But his testimony re remains pure. And, and, and then everything still happens the same at Nineveh. He just gets to ride on a ship instead of riding in a whale. He just has a different transportation. But at the end of the day, God will accomplish his will. And when God gives us stuff to do, the easiest thing to do is just do it. Come on in, brother. We're just having church. It's all good. We're supposed to be done anyway. We're right on time. Well, Lord, Lord, Lord willing. Now, that's a good place. We'll, we'll pick up there next week. But, but between now and then, I don't know. Read Jonah again. Let, let the Lord show us. God, help us live in the center of your perfect will from now until we gather again Sunday. And on Sunday, God, help us live in the center of your perfect will until we gather again on Wednesday and, and, and walk out everybody knows that God has a plan for your life right yep. it's an absolute just like the plan for Jonah and it's a whole lot easier to walk in the right direction toward Nineveh than to get on that old Ricky Rack ship headed in the wrong direction because they're never going to work out for us God's got a plan. Two-thirds of over eight billion people will never hear the gospel. Don't let one of them be our neighbor. Don't let one of them be our co-worker. The one where we get gas. The one at the grocery store. Two-thirds of over eight billion people will never hear the gospel. Don't let it be somebody that we have an opportunity to talk to. Amen. God, thank you so much. Thank you for this book. Thank you for your story. Thank you for the love and the mercy and compassion that we see in the story of Jonah. God, I see great, great mercy that you extended to your servant, God, and continued to use him and bless and forgave an entire city, a great city full of wicked people because they repented from sin. And God, I, I know Nahum comes. I know just to few years later that they turn back to their sin and eventually they're destroyed, God. So is the nature of people. I pray you'd help us not be that, God. Your word calls us a dog returns to his vomit. May we never look back, never go back, never glance back, Father. May we live in a place called the center of your perfect will to be used by you for your good, for your glory. 
that the kingdom might be added to. We love you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name.